Thank you for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed today's service. God is using the ministry of Lakeside to make a difference in many people's lives, and we have heard numerous stories of life change. If God has used the ministry of Lakeside to make a difference in your life, we would love to hear your story. Please email us at amen at lakesidechurch.ca. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you. Like, I see people. Do I hear people? Good morning. So our goal this morning is to not make history and for the first time on a lakeside stage have the speaker go into labor. That is our, one of our many goals for this morning. Um, I have been told I have just under four weeks left, so uh, let's hope that's the case. Well, we're here this morning together. Um, I'm very excited to be here. This will be my last time teaching uh, before the baby's born, barring some strange emergency, but I still don't think they'd... I'm not the most reliable person to call in in a situation right now, so uh, I don't think they'd call me in, but we are continuing on with our Limitless series, and we're talking about, you know, it's called Reaching Your Potential, but what this, this series is really all about, it's about, oh wow, already choking. We're about dreaming big. We're talking about God-sized dreams. We are talking about God placing a calling and a dream and a vision on our lives. And these dreams can be as limitless and as big as the God that we serve. That's the whole idea behind the title, is just that we serve a limitless God who can do limitless things and for some reason kind of invites us in the process, which is crazy. But we are looking at the story of Joseph over the next few weeks. And it's this idea that Joseph, he was the dreamer in the Bible. That's kind of what he is known for. And God gave him a dream. He gave him a purpose and a calling from a very young age and said, you are going to lead and provide for your family. We are not going to do a full recap because that will take a, a little bit too much time, but just so you kind of know where we're at. In week one, we were looking at, okay, so what is a God-sized dream? What does it mean to have one of these? What are the kind of like the criteria? What do we see in the Bible when we see people who have these dreams? And we looked at Joseph and, and you know, Joseph's dream was to help others. It was to give glory to God. It was to be used in a powerful way. And these, these are all parts of the criteria. And we followed that really uh, quickly in, in week two with this idea, okay, so now you have this dream. God has put this calling on your life. He has given you a God-sized dream, but what do you do when other people oppose your dream? What do you do in that situation? You know, Joseph told his brothers his dream, and they're like, uh-uh, that's not happening. They were kind of like that. And it was, it was not God wisdom they were giving. They were not building him up in any way. They were jealous, and they were trying to tear down his dream. So what do we do when we have this dream, and then we face opposition? As we move forward today, what we really want to look at is, okay, you have this dream. You might have some opposition to it, but what happens when your dream or what you thought was going to happen and reality, what happens when they don't look the same? What happens when how you imagined your dream doesn't seem to be coming true? And I have a, I have a confession to make, perhaps. I, I, that makes it sound more ominous than it really is. Um, this message was very difficult for me in a lot of ways. It's been kind of ever-changing. Usually, you know, when I, when I sit down to teach, I give myself a 10 days, two weeks, sometimes it depends on how busy I am really. And, um, but I really start in the scripture. And I really start in prayer and be like, God, 
What do you want me to say? I, I only ever want to teach what God wants me to teach, but for this one, God changed his mind. God doesn't change his mind, but it's something, it's something changed every day. Something more got revealed to me every day, and I struggled with this ever-changing perspective on what I was going to talk about here this morning, and it was in a way that God made it incredibly more personal to to me as it went along. He made it incredibly more applicable, and he made it incredibly more raw. So uh, yeah, that's where we are this morning. Because if I am being honest, which I think is a really good place to start, I'm in a little bit of a dream crossroads right now, let's say. Maybe a, maybe a crisis, that's kind of a serious word to use, but I am in this kind of uncertain place right now. About two years ago, I went to a conference. And God very, very clearly laid a calling on my life. And it was affirmed really quickly in, in strange ways and in multiple ways. I had someone actually come up to me and, and God had kind of given me a scripture in my head. And I had someone who I had never met before said they felt that God wanted them to pray for me and they prayed this scripture over me. So it was kind of a crazy moment and I've had more affirmation since then. It was a, it's been a very cool thing. And it wasn't a super tangible, you know, like this is what it's going to be or, or I had a perfect picture of what it was, but it was just in a profound sense that, wow, like God is going to use me in a cool way. And it, it was a wonderful moment. It, it really was. It was kind of one of those mountaintop moments. And the last two years, if I'm being honest, have been the busiest of my life in so many ways. They have been full of activity. But the issue that's kind of been happening with me is that all this activity has not really been, at least not from my perspective, kind of in service of the dream that God gave me. I've been busy, I've had great opportunities. You know, I'm happy where I am professionally. I've gotten to work with some amazing people. I've been given some awesome opportunities and it's wonderful and I am thankful for them. I really am. But I feel like all this activity is kind of actually stalling the dream, oddly enough. And that's put me in kind of a restless place, if I'm being honest. And as you know, we start this series and we're talking about dreams more and more and, and I was given two of the five weeks in this series between here and Lakeside downtown and I'm praying through this idea of dreams and I'm just like, oh my goodness, like this restlessness has just been increasing because I am so aware of kind of this disconnect I'm feeling between, you know, I thought I would be somewhere and that, that's not really what I've seen. I, I just, I feel this restlessness and this tension. And then I look down, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to become a parent. And that's a wonderful thing, and I am very excited about it, but if I said I wasn't scared about what that's going to look like, or feeling unprepared, or just feeling overwhelmed, because when you're, my life's about to change in some pretty huge ways. I understand that, and I don't think I counted for that in the initial dream when I'm looking at it, you know? And, and in my life, there's gonna be a new priority in my life, which is a, a good thing. But I'm encountering this time of huge transition and change. And until, I would say Wednesday, but let's be honest, until yesterday, um, I didn't quite know what the final product of today was going to look like. I really didn't. What was once very clear to me in terms of calling has become a little muddy and it's become a little unsure, and I was lying in bed, and I remember just, uh, I didn't say it audibly because I didn't want to wake up Justin, but I remember saying in my head, I'm like, 
How can I stand up there and teach and talk about being happy with where you're at in your dream when this is the thing I am struggling with most right now? This is something that is an incredible burden that I'm bearing. How can I talk about, you know, working with where you're at and being happy with where you're at when, frankly, I'm not sure I'm happy with where I'm at. And they say God works in mysterious ways, which he does, but sometimes he also beats you over the head with a stick, um, which is what he did with me, which is great. Uh, God just said, take a look at my word. Go back to it, go back to it once more and write down what you see. And then you're gonna go and you're gonna practice what you preach. So here we go. We are gonna be starting in Genesis 39. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you like to use the Bible app on your smartphone, you can go there. We are in Genesis 39, and Joseph has made a big shift in his life. When we started our story, Joseph was the favorite son. He was beloved. He was given this God-given dream of providing for his family and of leadership. And God was going to use him in a powerful way. He felt that over his life, that God was going to do something very amazing through him. And when we pick up our story here in Genesis 39, Joseph is at the absolute bottom of the power and social ladder. He has nearly been murdered by his brothers. He has been taken from home. He has been stripped of everything he owns, including that beautiful robe that marked him with distinction. And he has been placed on a slavery block and sold to the highest bidder. He is not even recognized as a person anymore. Joseph is a slave. He was a son of distinction with a God-sized dream of leadership and providing for his family, and he is now in a foreign land and owned by someone else. And despite this really crummy situation, and let's be honest, it's a crummy situation, we see Joseph do really well as a slave. That's kind of weird to say but he does really well. The Bible makes it very clear. It says over and over and over again, God was with him. He works hard, he is a success. He becomes a trusted and valuable member of his master's household. He becomes a leader of that household. He dreamed of leadership, maybe not in this way, but he becomes a leader. And as he goes on, he continues to see his work being blessed. People report into him nothing but his master's wife is held from his authority. He does well as a slave. And in the blink of an eye, everything is taken from him again. Joseph decides he's gonna do the right thing. He's propositioned by his master's wife. She would like him to sleep with her. He says no. He does the right thing. And because he does the right thing, he is falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit, and he is thrown in prison with no hope of ever getting out. Everything he has built in Egypt in, unto this point in slavery, the rapport, the work, the authority, everything that he has been blessed and given is gone. And I don't know about you, but I would be done at this point. I, I am not an easy quitter, but I have no problem admitting I would just kind of want to roll over and give up at this point if this was me. How do you make 
the best of this situation? How do you continue to move forward when it seems like everything you do, even the successes can be taken from you so quickly, when it seems like, like you're just constantly taking you know, a few steps forward and then giant, giant leaps back? How do you keep the dream alive in your heart when it seems that everything is conspiring against you and when your reality, being in a prison, versus your dream, being given leadership, what do you do when they are miles apart from one another? And yet if you're in the end of Genesis 39, it's the same story. Oop, God is with him. He does well, he is blessed, he works hard, he's given authority, he's trusted. People see something inside of Joseph. There is something special about this guy. He is given authority over royal prisoners. Yeah, not his dream job, but guess what it means? It means that he's done really well in prison. It means he's risen in the ranks. It means that he is trusted enough to oversee royal officials. It's, you know, it's not what he wanted, but it's still, it came with its privileges. It came with authority. It came with, you know, perks and provision and, and other things. There is something special about Joseph. And then once again, once again in Genesis 40, he is given the opportunity, or he's given kind of the glimpse of the opportunity to move on with his life. He thinks, you know what? I think the end of my time in prison has finally come. God gives Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. And these two royal officials who are in his care, they both have dreams. And Joseph is able to successfully interpret them. And yes, one of the men does die. So when we say it's a successful dream interpretation, it's kind of crass because one guy died. But uh, one guy lived. Hey, there's always an upside. And this guy that lived, he says, I am going to remember you, Joseph. When I get out of here, I'm gonna remember you. I'm gonna make sure people hear about you and what you can do. And it's that carrot that's, in front of, that's dangling in front of him. He's like, maybe this is my chance. Maybe I'll get a royal pardon or a royal favor, or maybe at the very least, I'm gonna get freed from prison and maybe I can go home. And maybe I can see that dream of leading and providing my family finally happen. Maybe, you know, he thinks he knows exactly what it's gonna look like and maybe he thinks that okay, maybe this is my time. And then he is completely forgotten about by the man whose dream he interpreted. And for two more years, he sits in a dingy Egyptian prison. I thought my dream would be further along than it is. I am not trying to compare my circumstances to Joseph. Please know that his are infinitely worse. And by worse, I mean, I've got a great life. That's, I'm not trying to do anything there, but I feel this affinity towards him, towards the frustration that he might feel because I thought that things would look different. When God put this calling on my life, when he gave me this God-sized dream, and when he, when, when he affirmed it, really, in a number of ways, I thought it would mean something different. And I wanna be really clear, I'm, I'm really not trying to have a woe is me moment here. I have a wonderful life. I got a wonderful husband, a great family. Uh, I have been blessed so much to work at Hope House and with Lakeside Downtown and just serve the people there. I have a baby on the way. Like, God has blessed my socks off. There is no woe is me here. 
But I think it's very natural as humans and, and as people of faith, if, if that's where you're at here this morning, that when God puts a calling on our lives and he affirms it, there is just this excitement that, that you're in step with God and that he wants to do something. There is this excitement. And even though I would have never said it out loud until today, and I don't think any of us would say it out loud, we think that when this happens, when there's calling and when there's affirmation, it's kind of like, okay, well, it's going to be smooth sailing, right? Because God gave this to me and God is capable of making everything easy. So of course he's going to make it easy for me, right? It's almost like the sense that God kind of owes us, which just feels so wrong to even say out of my mouth, but I think I really kind of had that mentality. And because we get so excited and because we kind of think that, well, if God's on my side, of course it's going to be smooth sailing. When our dream and our reality don't match up, it, it really messes us in the head. It kind of throws us for a loop. In his book, The Dream Giver, which is a great book if you have never read it, the author Bruce Wilkinson, he talks about this place, this place where when your dream and what you see around you, you know, your reality, when they don't match up, when the things that you thought would happen don't, and when your dream seems stalled, he calls this place the wasteland. And the one thing he wants to make very clear in his book is that when you are in the wasteland, when your dream and your reality don't seem to match up, it is your choice how you respond. It is your choice, it is my choice, how we live in the wasteland. And I don't know what your dream might be. I don't know what God has placed on your heart. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, I don't even know if that's happened. I'm, I'm still kind of waiting for God's calling on my life. That's okay too, it's okay if we're all in a different place this morning. I don't know why some people's dreams seem to happen easier than others. I don't know why some people seem to be blessed with more resources or more ability or, or more something to make it happen. But I do know that every dream is very likely going to have a wasteland of different sizes, of different lengths, but there is a wasteland on this journey of dreams. And the question we wanna talk about this morning is, what do we do when we are in the wasteland? What do we do when there is a disconnect between our dream and what we are really living with? Well, the first thing we do is we don't let the disconnect become discontentedness. The disconnect between what we thought our dream would look like or what we thought we would happen and what our reality is, the disconnect between these two places can be one of the most dangerous gaps we can ever be in because it is the gap where discontentedness can breed. It doesn't have to breed, but it can breed. Because if we don't like where we're at, if we sit in chronic discontentedness, we are going to stew and get angry and we're going to blame and we're going to get envious and mean-spirited and we're going to be bitter. And this chronic burden of discontentedness is going to be like this passenger we carry on our backs all the time. And let me tell you something, if you are carrying a dark passenger like this of discontentedness, God is not going, you're not going to see your God-sized dream become a reality because God-sized dreams require God-shaped hearts. And a God-shaped heart is not distorted with bitterness and chronic discontentment. It never once says in the Bible when we were looking at the story of Joseph that he lived a chronically discouraged life because of his situation. 
You're never gonna find him in the corner, sullen, cursing God, angry. The Bible has no problem sharing the times that people like this did do that, but we don't see that in Joseph's story. And this is a guy who had very good reason to be discontented. I mean, this guy was given a dream of providing and leading for his family, and God didn't tell him how it would happen or when it would happen or where it would happen. But Joseph winds up a slave, away from his family, isolated, completely disconnected, with no prospects. The reality and the dream could not be further apart. There could not be a greater disconnection. And yet, rather than move into a state of unhappiness, it's, the Bible says that Joseph gets, gets to work. He does his job, and he does it well. And he does it without the expectation of blessing at the end of the day. He doesn't allow the disconnect to stop him from living his life. He doesn't allow anger to fester and breed. He does not live his life on autopilot. He thrives. And because he thrives, the people he works for thrive. And because they thrive, they just bless him more, and he just thrives some more. And I want to be really clear here this morning, and I'm I'm trying to give myself grace with this while I wrestle with it as well. I'm not trying to say that you never need to be sad or upset or frustrated or disappointed when your reality and your dream don't match up. That's not what I'm trying to say. I don't think that Joseph saw being sold into slavery or being put into prison. I don't think he saw those as really positive steps in his life that needed to be celebrated. I bet he shouted in frustration. I bet he let out a Hebrew curse word or two. Maybe an Egyptian one. He would have had to learn that. I bet he cried himself to sleep a few times. He's human. As humans, we have to allow ourselves to feel. But if Joseph struggled with with anger for a, a season of his life, with disappointment, whether it was momentary, whether it lasted for a few months, it was so transitory that it was not worth recording when his story is recorded. And his story is recorded at, you know, quite in depth in the Bible, but we never see that part of his story recorded. And I think that's ultimately because he worked with what he had where he was at. This is kind of one of the, the big points of today. It's where the title of the message come from, comes from. It's this idea that Joseph worked with what he had and where he was at. If we go to Genesis 39, verses 4 and 6, it says, Joseph found favor in his eyes. His is Potiphar, his master. And it says, and, beca- and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. This is a passage that is saying, Joseph worked hard and became trusted. Potiphar saw something in Joseph. Joseph could have lamented. He could have sat in the corner and been sad, but he doesn't. Look what happens. He gets to work. He gets noticed, and because of that, he does receive blessing. Was Joseph's situation fair? I don't particularly think so. Do you think that's where he wanted to be? I don't. Was being sold into slavery the natural, or what he would have thought as the natural progression to his dream? Probably not. But Joseph 
doesn't stop. He doesn't let that stop him from using his gifts and his abilities and from him working hard. Like I said, he doesn't sit down and mourn and lament what he does not have or this current setback. It says, the Bible says he used what he had and he got to work. God had made, it says that Joseph is young and handsome. He has the ability to work hard. So he decides that I'm gonna work hard. Joseph had the gift of leadership. That's why God placed a calling on his life towards leadership. Look at how he uses it. He takes charge of an entire man's household. People report into him. He used his gift of leadership to lead the other, other slaves, really. I think Joseph was charismatic. He had the ability to please. He had the ability to form relationships. He had a very good relationship with Potiphar until the unfortunate incident with Potiphar's wife. But when we go through Joseph's story, other than his envious brothers, Joseph is a very well-liked guy. And he uses that to his advantage. And his hard work pay, pays off. As a slave, he prospers. God blesses his work in the wasteland. If you go down to the passage in scripture when it's talking about Joseph in prison, it's almost like word for word the same. It says God was with him. He worked hard. He was blessed. People saw God at work inside Joseph. When we are talking about the wasteland, we have to be really clear here. I'm not saying it's called a wasteland because there's nothing around you or because it's like you're in a garbage dump. It's called the wasteland because when we are in this period, we are the ones who often waste. We are the ones who often waste. We waste time, we waste opportunity, we waste the chance to live in faith in God alone. We, you know, stretching our trust abilities in God in uncertain times. I love when I look at Joseph. He stretched his leadership muscles. He learned how to manage and look after people. He acquired new skills, including language skills. And as he worked and he learned and he prospered, he was given more opportunities to work and learn and prosper, and he took advantage of those as well. And spoiler alert, if you go to the end of Joseph's story, he would have needed every single one of those skills in achieving his God-sized dream. He needed every single one of the skills that he acquired, even in a place that he probably didn't think was a big step in his dream. I love that Joseph recognizes this difference, and it's a difference that I struggle with so badly, but Joseph saw that there was a difference between God's calling and God's timing. God's, God-sized dreams are really God's. The calling he pl- puts on our life, it is lar- it's not even largely, it is all his, and he reveals it to us in his time. And the timeline for how things are gonna happen or how things get revealed, They are also on God's timeline, and they are a mystery to us. God's calling and God's timeline are two very different things, and in a world that, with everything at our fingertips, and in a generation that is increasingly impatient, and boy, do I ever feel it. This is hard to hear and even harder to live by. God's calling and God's timing are two very different things. So what do you do when you're wrestling with this tension? Well, you do what Joseph did. He held on to his dream and he held on to the dream giver. Joseph kept in very close relationship with 
God. The Bible makes it clear that God was with Joseph, that he walked closely with Joseph, and that Joseph knew it. Out of everything that was unknown, Joseph knew one truth, that God was with him. I think that's a pretty cool thing. If we look at some, even some of these verses, and this is a sampling, you can, you can find even more. Genesis 39, 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Genesis 39, 20, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Genesis 39, 22, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. If you skip to, four, uh, to Genesis 40 while he's in prison, this is talking about Joseph's ability to interpret dreams. It says, then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. This verse, I know it seems a little out of place with the other ones, but what I'm trying to show and what the Bible shows is that Joseph knew that God was key to his success, that everything he did was for God, done, done for God, and blessed by God. It was not because of his, it was nothing to do because of himself. All the glory had to go to God. His only chance at success, his only chance at moving forward, his only chance at surviving the wasteland was sticking close to the dream giver. If Joseph had forgotten his dream, if, the, if, if he had thought it was dead or wrong or a delusion of grandeur, if Joseph had turned his head away from God for not coming through in the way that Joseph thought he should, do you think that God would have blessed Joseph's work the way that he did? Do you think that God would have even been able to do that, that, that if Joseph's heart was twisted or torn or, or bent, do you think that God really could have blessed him? He could have progressed him the way, progressed in his life the way that he did. Joseph didn't forget the dream, but more importantly, he didn't forget the one who gave that dream to him. The final point I want to leave to you in connection with this, and this is probably... I don't ever say, I, I don't really think I ever say anything profound, but if you're gonna take one thing away, there we go, take this away. He remembered that God was the goal. Joseph remembered that God was the goal. God is the goal of all of our lives if we say that we follow after him. Living for God, following after him, getting closer to him, obeying and honoring him, that is always the goal. How many times this morning have I said phrases like, but God, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't how I thought things would look like. I am disappointed in where things are at. I don't think things are moving along fast enough. When we are using eyes too much in relation to our God-sized dream, we need to start checking ourselves. Because when we're talking about God-sized dreams, we're talking about the calling that God places on our lives, we, we cannot be confused and think, well, this is my dream and hold on to it really tightly. We are stewards of the dream. God gives us the dream, but they are really his dreams that he entrusts to us, that he allows us to steward. These dreams are only possible because they are given by God and made possible to, to happen by God. It's God's dreams, it's God's work, and for some crazy reason, and I haven't quite figured that one out yet, he invites us to be part of it. He decides to use just broken, 
imperfect people who are just so messed up to be part of his amazing work and part of his dreams, and that's kind of awesome. When we are talking about God-sized dreams, we are talking about a dream that God gets all the glory. God has to get all the glory in order for it to be a God-sized dream. The limitless dreams that we are given, the ones that seem too big for us to possibly imagine, are in fact too big for us to possibly imagine. They all are rooted in a limitless God who can do the impossible. And these dreams, they are about becoming more like Jesus. They are becoming more like God in the flesh. They are seeing God's will happen on this earth. It is about helping people that God loves, which is everyone, by the way. And it's about pointing other people towards God. It is not about our own glory. In Genesis 39, three and five, it says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, so when Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph, and that the Lord gave Joseph success in everything he did. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. God was being shown through Joseph. Joseph's wasteland, Joseph's place where the dream and reality, where there was a disconnect between them, is where God did some of his greatest work through and in the life of Joseph. It prepared him for everything he was going to encounter in the future. It allowed others to see God at work through Joseph, through how he dealt with disappointment and setback, with how he worked with authority and with integrity. Joseph never takes the credit for any good thing that happens in his life. He never takes credit for his abilities. All the credit was always given to God. The glory has to go to God. God is the goal. Our dreams for our glory are not the goal. Hebrews 12 verse 1, talks about us running the race of perseverance. It's about running the race of life. And it talks about, you know, if we're going to do this, we have to throw off everything that hinders us. If we're going to follow after our God-given purpose, we have to throw off everything that hinders. And it says in the verse following, it says, you want to run the race of life with success? You want to to follow your God-given purpose? This is what you have to do. You have to fix your eyes on Jesus. It never says fix your eyes on the glory that might be at the end of the dream. Don't fix your eyes on the finish line. It says you fix your eyes on Jesus. At the end of Joseph's story, in Genesis 45, remember Joseph had the the vision or the the dream of, of leadership and provision for his family. And when Joseph is talking to his brothers, he, he gets reunited with his brothers. They come and they bow down to him and they ask for his help so that they can be provided for. They don't know it's Joseph at the time, though. But still, his, his dream came true. But when it's kind of revealed that, yes, this is their brother Joseph, and he is confronting them at the end, he says, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a greater deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. He's saying, God went ahead of me. God was already at work 
when I was in the wasteland. If you continue on, it says, I will provide for you there. So it talks about Joseph's brothers coming in and living with him. He's like, I'm going to provide for you there. And then because five years of famine are still to come, otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Joseph is saying, I am going to lead and provide for you. He doesn't say in an arrogant way or a gloating way. His dream became a reality. And yet it didn't happen maybe the way he thought it would. It didn't happen without there being a wasteland. And after 13 years of slavery and imprisonment, Joseph sees his dream become a reality in a bigger way than he can even have imagined. It wasn't just his family he leaded and provided for. He saved millions of people's lives from, with his foresight that God had given him. Joseph became a leader and a provider of a nation and of surrounding nations. Thirteen years of slavery and imprisonment. That's what it took. That was his wasteland. It's an amazing thing. Just as we wrap up, I want to share one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I actually use this at the end of my message uh, at Lakeside Downtown in week one, but I'm going to assume that most of you weren't there, so uh, I'm recycling. But it's one of my favorite passages, and it's, it's um, written by a man named Paul in the New Testament who was given such a vision and such a God-sized dream of just sharing the message of Christ with the nations. And right before Paul is about to go out on one of his missionary journeys uh, to teach and to just to spread the good news of Christ in Acts 20, it says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. He's saying, I have been given a vision. I'm being compelled by the Spirit of God to move forward, and I don't know what's going to happen to me. I am going into a time of uncertainty. There is going to be a wasteland. He says, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. There are struggles. There is a wasteland ahead. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul is saying, I have a dream. I have a God-sized dream. I have this calling, and I don't know what lies ahead of me. I have no idea, but here's what I do know, that I have one aim. I have one goal. God is my goal. That is my only aim in all of this. It's to do what he has asked me to do. And my prayer this morning is, uh, as we leave here is that as bold as that, that prayer is that my life is worth nothing to me. God, do whatever you have to do. Keep me in that wasteland for as long as you need to make me ready for your dream. That's a hard thing to pray. But may it be that our life means nothing to us and we have one aim and that that is the goal is God. If you'll bow your heads in prayer with me. Father God, I thank you for this story of Joseph and just the amazing calling that you put on his life, God, and, and a calling that, that 
wasn't maybe tangible or he didn't know what it was gonna look like, God, but it was just such an amazing vision. It was such a God-sized dream. And that in order to, to have that dream, in order to be successful at it, that he had to go through a wasteland, God. And I pray for people, for myself, for anyone who's here who's just feeling discouraged by life in the wasteland, God. May the wasteland, may we not waste it. May, may we not waste opportunity. May we not waste time. May we learn. May we grow. May we look to you, fix our eyes on you, and say, what, what are you teaching me in this? And may we do that just with humility and, and just with such a desire to please you and to do your work, God. God, you are a limitless God. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you that you are the God who does the impossible, that, that you do beyond what we can imagine and hope and, and even understand that the big, amazing, crazy dreams that you give to us, that they don't have to seem impossible because we know with you anything is possible. May we cling to that this morning. God, may you be our goal. May you be our aim. May our lives be worth nothing to us in light of just serving you. May that be our goal here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To hear it again or other messages, please visit us at lakesidechurch.ca.